All right, we will be in Jeremiah chapter 7 this morning. Let's go ahead and read a couple verses and then we'll pray. Jeremiah chapter 7, let's read in verse number 21, starting in verse number 21. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings uh, unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. This morning I want to, uh, as we look at chapter 7, kind of focus in on a sermon title that's not what I said. That's not what I said. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we do look at your word. And I pray that we would learn from it, that we would understand it. And God, that we would grow from it. I pray that you'd help me as I present these verses, that I would do it clearly and correctly. And uh, God, we look forward to your working in our lives this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come into chapter 7, we still see the, um, the, the, the nation of Israel um, steeped in idolatry and uh, following still in the ways in which God has, uh, has commanded them not to go. And uh, <clears throat> we see the, uh, in this chapter God talking about punishment that will come as a result of their idolatry. And I've got three points today. But uh, we'll kind of focus in uh, at the end of the sermon on the verses we just read. And uh, we've talked about it before, but oftentimes we make excuses or we um, make the Bible say what we want it to say or we do the things that we think uh, or that we want to do thinking that God will be okay with it. And oftentimes, if we're faithful to read the Bible... It is clear as day what God wants us to do, what God de uh, demands for us to do, and uh, what is right and what is wrong. As a young child, you know what's right and wrong. Um, it, is not, it does not take long for a baby to understand that uh, they can lie and get their way. Um, they start crying. And you think, okay, I've tried to feed the baby, but the baby's still crying. Uh, and it's in the middle of the night, and uh, what you found out was the baby just wanted to be held. Just wanted some attention. And uh, I've learned that if you cry enough, you can still get attention even as an adult. But uh, the baby very quickly learns, I can tell my mom that I'm hungry and she'll hold me. And, uh, and even though I'm not hungry, I can still get what I want. So it doesn't take long for a human being to understand that I can lie or do what's wrong and get... Uh, something that I desire. It doesn't take long for a person to understand that I can do whatever I want to try to get my way. And then, soon after, we do find out there are consequences for that wrongdoing, um, which can vary, of course, uh, in different ways. But uh, I want us to see a couple things in Jeremiah 7 that will lead us to the verses we just read. I want us to start by understanding the importance of proclaiming God's message Back in verse number 1 of chapter 7, we see the Lord come to Jeremiah. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand, so this is God speaking to Jeremiah, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, 
and I will cause you to dwell in this place. We need to understand a couple things uh, that I think can be a good lesson for us based off of these few verses. Number one, we need to not forsake the house of the Lord. There is, uh, and pastors were scared of this. I honestly was not. I'm thankful for you all. It's not something I worried about. But in the pandemic and the going online with church, a lot of pastors were concerned that they would never get back some of their people, where they would get comfortable sitting at home and watching online, um, or they would just get used to not going to church, and so they wouldn't come back uh, ever again. There are some churches that to this point have reported only 60% of their churches have returned. Um, and I'm assuming that percentage will go up as time continues. But they may not ever get back to 100% of what they had before, at least in the, the days following the pandemic. And uh, there is this concern about people forsaking the house of the Lord. And by the house of the Lord, I mean the church, obviously. And, uh, and we see that in, in this message where Jeremiah was standing, it was, uh, in verse number 2, at the gate of the Lord's house. Now, uh, I will not take it out of context, uh, but I will say this, God finds the church very important. As a matter of fact, so important that He established it. Uh, God established the church, no man did. And with that comes the importance of being there. We know Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And I've heard that, that message being preached by a pastor saying that we can never miss church. And, and, uh, and if you do, you're in sin. And, and uh, I think there's, uh, we know that God understands all things. And, and uh, we've prayerfully considered what we needed to do during the pandemic time and, and did what we believe God wanted us to do. But it is important that we don't forsake the house of the Lord. God here gives Jeremiah a message, and where he tells him to stand is, is at the gates of the house of the Lord. And I think sometimes we forget the importance of church in proclaiming God's message. It's not just a building, and it's not just a group of people, although if you want to get technical about it, the church is the people, it's not the building. The building can burn down, and we can still have church, and I agree with all of that. But I think sometimes we try to get too cute with how we present the message of God. Now, we have to go into the highways and hedges. We have to go into the neighborhoods. We have to go into the community. I believe all of that. But I believe we have to be careful not to forsake the house of the Lord. I believe the church, as it is established, number one, is for believers. I believe it is a place for believers to come and to learn and to grow and to become mature in their relationship with God. It is a place where they come and gain fellowship with fellow believers. Um, as, as all of us have experienced, at least at some point in our lives, if you're working in a job that is a non-Christian job, so just your average job in the world, you're going to be around non-Christian fellowship. And sometimes, you, if you're in the, the perfect situation, it's not that big of a deal, but the average job is going, you're going to hear things, you're going to see things, you're going to be influenced by attitudes that are not godly. And, uh, and the church is a place that we can come where although we are not perfect, and I believe, as, as many people have said, the church has hypocrites. I believe that with all my heart. Um, we all act our best when we come to church on Sunday, and we don't want to let everybody know our worst. But that being said, it is a place where fellow believers can come together, can encourage one another, can edify one another, lift each other up, 
where we can hear the Word of God preached. If you go to a church that doesn't have the Bible open and teaching from it, I'm not sure where you're at. The importance of hearing God's Word. There, there's, on a daily basis, we need to be reading it for ourselves, but the importance of being taught God's Word, whether it be our children in children's class, whether it be us as adults in the auditorium, uh, this is why I, as a pastor, like to go to conferences. It's why we bring in some guest preachers occasionally, because as much as I enjoy preaching, I need to be preached to as well. And hearing God's Word taught, that's what the church was established for, the teaching and the preaching of God's words and, and the edification of one another. The church is also established so that we can proclaim the gospel to the lost. But at the end of the day, it's, it's not easy to get someone who doesn't believe in God um, or understand God to come to church. As a matter of fact, I think it's getting harder the longer that we go. But the church is a place where uh, you've heard it referred to as a hospital, where the sick need to come in and receive help. The, the church is a place where the lost can come and hear the Word of God and hear the gospel preached, the fact that Jesus Christ came and was born, died on the cross for our sins, and was risen three days later, victorious, so that we could be saved, so that we could have eternal life in heaven. And the Bible teaches clearly that point. But if we forsake the house of the Lord, we're going to miss out on many of these things. And here, Jeremiah's message, uh, although there are other times where he goes into the city, and although there are other times in the Bible where we see people proclaiming God's word in the cities. In this case, he was told, stand at the gate of the house of the Lord and proclaim this message. Do not forsake the house of the Lord. Also, do not forsake the message of the Lord. The most important message that we can have is the one that God gives us. And in verse 3, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Amend your ways and your doings. It goes back with what we talked about a few weeks back on repentance. Repent. Turn away from the things that you're doing. Turn away from your wickedness. Turn away from your idolatry. Amend them. Start doing right. Your ways and your doings. It is the exact same message that God gave Jonah when he went to Nineveh and preached the greatest revival, I believe, in the history of the world. Jonah went and he said, Repent. It's the same message that Jesus preached in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 in the Sermon on the Mount. Repent. 2 Chronicles 7 brings it up for, the, for Jerusalem or for Israel as well. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, the disciples preaching, repent. Turn away from your wickedness. Joel chapter 2 and Zechariah chapter 1 in the Old Testament, repent. Turn away. Amend your ways and your doings. It is a consistent message throughout Scripture that those who are doing wrong, that those who are doing things that God is not pleased with, need to amend their ways and amend their doings. Repent. Turn from those things and turn to that which is right. This is the same message that we are given uh, to preach and to proclaim in the world that we live in today. Amend your ways and your doings. It's... It's easy for us to tell um, political parties uh, that are opposite of our thinking to amend their ways. We do it all the time. As a matter of fact, I've been doing it relatively consistently recently um, uh, to one particular politician. I do it kindly, I believe, and graciously. But uh, any time that it is mentioned that uh, we're trying to save lives, I just mentioned, well, there's an easy way to do that. 
Uh, it's not to veto certain bills, and it's to get rid of the abortion that is legalized in our state. Um, it's an easy way to save lives. And I have learned very quickly that there are many people who don't agree with me, and uh, they like to share that with me and some, with some very intriguing arguments, but nonetheless, um, not very thought-provoking arguments. But it is the message that we are to proclaim today is, uh, don't forsake the message of the Lord, which is, amend your ways and amend your doings. We tell Christians who are sinning, you need to amend your ways and amend your doings. What you're doing is wrong. Uh, the Bible teaches us the importance of a fellow Christian going to another Christian when they're doing wrong, when they're in sin, and confronting them about it kindly, lovingly, and with the idea of restoring and of helping. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. I think we miss a lot of that, um, honestly, in our churches today. Everybody has the mindset of, well, I'm not perfect, so it's not my position. Well, I would tell you, then, then be perfect. You say, well, it's easier said than done. I understand that. But if your excuse for not helping other people is because you keep sinning, well, then stop sinning and, and then go help other people to do the same. Or maybe you can go to that person and say, hey, I'm struggling with sinning too. Can you help me and I'll help you? It's, it's amend your ways. It's amend your doings. It's stop doing wrong and start doing right. It is our responsibility as Christians to go into the world and encourage them to amend their ways and their doings through the gospel of Christ. We don't tell people you need to start doing right before they start believing right. Um, what good does it do for us to get a world to, be, to do good things when they still don't have Jesus? Uh, we can't expect them to do good things, honestly, without Jesus. So our message is the Lord Jesus Christ loves the world. God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, the Bible tells us we're all sinners, and because of our sin, we fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that God loves us so much that while he knew we were sinners, he still died for us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, as he was nailed to the cross, the reason why he was on the cross was not because Judas betrayed him, it was not because Pilate had no backbone. It was because I'm a sinner and the price for my sin had to be paid. So Jesus was nailed to a cross and he died there on that cross. They took him down off of the cross and put him into a grave, a borrowed tomb. And three days later, miraculously, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You see, because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection... I can amend my ways and my doings. If I've never put my trust in Christ, I can do that. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it is not a matter of can't. It's a matter of who can. I cannot, on my own, be, and I'll use the word again, perfect. I cannot on my own be sinless. I cannot on my own be enough to attain God. Only God can do that. The Bible says that by faith, by grace through faith, we can be saved. And that's the only way to do it. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way but through Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ alone.
I cannot be good enough. Because if I could be good enough to get to heaven, I could be bad enough to not get to heaven. Meaning that if I got saved through my good works, then I could lose my salvation through my bad works. But if I can only be saved by God's grace, it's by God's grace that He keeps me saved. That's the message that we're proclaiming to the world. It's the message that that has been preached from day one. And we cannot forsake the message of the Lord. We get too caught up, and again, we've talked about this recently, there are needed social changes in our world. But if we're so caught up on the social change, we'll miss the spiritual change that is necessary. And God preaches, love your neighbor. God preaches, love your enemy. God preaches, do right by people. But God never says that's the end all. That should be a result of the salvation that God offers. So we proclaim the message of the Lord. And within the message of the Lord comes the social changes that are necessary. But do not forsake the message that God has told you to preach, that God has told you to proclaim. Number one, proclaim God's message. Don't forsake the house of the Lord or the message of the Lord. Number two, provoke not God to anger. Look in verse number 18 uh, here in Jeremiah 7. Verse number 18 says, The children gather wood. Actually, let's go to verse 17. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire. And the women knead their dough uh, to make cakes to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger. He says, do you not see what's going on? If you'll go and look in Judah and the cities and in the streets of Jerusalem, what you'll find is the children are getting wood together. Then the fathers are starting the fire, making the fire out of the wood the children are gathering. And then the women are kneading dough and making sacrificial food to the queen of heaven uh, to pour out offerings to other gods. And he says, in doing so, they are doing this, that they may provoke me to anger. I don't know why anyone would think it's a good idea to make angry the creator of the universe. I don't know why anybody would think it's a good idea to provoke to anger the God who flooded the world and spared only one family. I'm not sure why we think it's okay for me to do this even though God doesn't like it. I'm sure he'll be okay with me doing it because I'm one of his favorites. I don't think anybody would say that. But but what is the reasoning behind people, especially people who are supposed to be being obedient to God? We're not talking about the world here. In this case, he's speaking to to, uh, Israel, his chosen people. We are not Israel. (laughs) All right. Uh, I understand that. But I believe it's fair to say that, well, the Bible teaches us that if we are saved, we are God's children. We are adopted into God's family. And I believe it'd be safe to say that God is disappointed and more so angry when we do things in which He has told us not to do. The Bible teaches us that God is a jealous God. Thou shalt uh, put no other gods before me. The Bible teaches us that God is the only one worthy of our worship, the only one worthy of our honor, in the the scheme of God. And here we see that these people are, are putting so much work and they're doing it as a family to worship fake gods, false gods, idols, as a family. 
the parents are saying, hey kids, go do this so we can do this. I'm going to do this so that we can worship the false gods. Honey, I want you to do this and prepare the sacrifice or the offering for the false gods. The entire family is doing to the false gods what God is desiring of the entire family to do for Him. So oftentimes um, we get caught up, and we've talked a lot about this, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but um, where maybe the, the dad is truly worshiping, but the rest of the family is just kind of being dragged along. They're not, they haven't, if I can use the term, body in. They haven't believed or they haven't, they're not worshiping. Or the mom is doing this. I think more often than not, if there's one person in the family, a lot of times it is the the mom, the wife. Uh, Which is sad because God says the man should be the head of the house. Uh, Sometimes it's the kids. I've met many kids working through camp ministry where the kids are the only one in the family going to church. When I worked in college and we had a bus route, and those were the only, the only part of the family that would come to church was the kids. And God wants every individual. But He desires, not only did He establish the church, He established the family. And He desires that the family worship God together. That the family is, is, is all involved in the worship of God. And here this family is, is involved in worshiping false gods. And they're in doing so, they, they force God or... Provoke God to anger. Look in verse number 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not? And come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations. Talked about this last week. Well, you're going to go and do all these bad things and then come to me and be like, oh, it's okay, God will forgive me. Oh, it's okay, God is my father, so he's okay, it'll be okay. He says, uh, you're going to come here and you're going to say we are delivered to do all of these abominations. God brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery, out out of that punishment, so that we could come here and just go right back to our idolatrous ways. He'll deliver us again. God is not pleased by this mindset. It says in verse number 24, after God is speaking, uh, here He says, but they hearken not. They're not even listening to me. Uh, They hearken not, uh, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imaginations of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but harden their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Provoke not God to anger. Don't assume that because God loves you, He's okay with your sin. That's today's mindset, isn't it? Well, you just got to accept them as they are. (laughs) Okay. Um, No. We have to love people where they are. Yes, that is true. But acceptance and love is not the same thing. And the world tells us it is the same thing. In order for you to love me, you have to accept me. No, that is not true at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that if I love you, I will help you do right. So if you're doing wrong and I accept your wrongdoing, well, that's not love. As a matter of fact, that's pushing you further away from God. 
In order to love you, I have to help you do what is right. That's what the Bible teaches. So it's not about accepting, it's about truly loving people. And when they won't listen, we have to keep telling them. We can't make people. I, I was listening to a, um, an interview with uh, some athletes this week, and they were talking about a coach that is a Christian. He's well-known. Tony Dungy used to coach the Colts, and uh, he's a proclaimed Christian. He is well-known as a very good person um, within this, the people he's worked with. And one of the players that played for him, uh, they were talking about his uh, personality, Tony Dungy's personality, and, they were talking, and he said, you know what, Tony would never yell at you. You were never going to hear him cuss. But he was going to be direct with you, and he was going to tell you what you're doing is wrong. Uh, he had players that, that made, had legal issues, and he would come to them, and he would tell them, this is how it's going to affect you, this is how it's going to affect your career, but not only that, this is how it's going to affect your life. You can't be the good father if you're going to do these things. And, and he sat down, and, but in that statement, the player said he never forced his Christianity on you, but he was always very religious, and he was, a, he was a Christian man, and he was not afraid of that. You see, so, so many times we are afraid to confront sin because we're afraid that we're going to be looked at as trying to force on them. And I'm telling you, there's a way to do it. There's a way to confront sin biblically with someone. It's not wrong to go up to someone and say, what you're doing is wrong. God hates it. Uh, if you're talking with another Christian... You have that conversation. God is very displeased with the way that you're living. And, and this is how it's going to affect your life. This is how it's going to affect your family. Um, there's so, we could go so deep into this and we won't today. But number one, proclaim God's message. Number two, provoke not God to anger. And let's get into number three, which is perform God's commandments. And it brings us back to verse number 22. In verse number 23, that we read this, this or the beginning of this sermon. Well, let's go back to verse number 21 and reread it. Thus saith the Lord of, of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this thing I commanded, uh, or this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, I will be your God, Ye shall be my people, and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. What he says here in verse number 22 uh, is, I, when your fathers, when I delivered them out of Egypt, I didn't come to them and say, um, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. You've got to perform this sacrifice and this offering. Now, he did talk about offerings and sacrifices um, when they're building the, the tabernacle and things like that. But he's saying when they came out, when I delivered them, I wasn't so concerned with these religious actions. He said, what I told them was, obey me. That was the focus of my message to your fathers. Obey me. Walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. If you obey me, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you obey me, if you follow my commandments, then it may be well unto you. That's the message I gave your fathers. And here you are in verse 18, focusing on sacrifices and offerings, not to me, but to false gods. But you're focusing on religious action and religious activity. And he says, what I commanded was obedience. Obedience. 
again, and we've talked a lot about this recently, but the Christian sometimes gets caught up in religion and fails to obey God. Um, sometimes we think the most noble action is what God wants when God just desires obedience. We talked about um, uh, recently the, the king that, that had leprosy and he was told to go dip in the Jordan River and he's like, the Jordan River's nasty. Isn't there another river I can go dip in and be healed? And his servant said, if, they to, if, if the, the prophet told you, if Elisha told you to do something magnificent, wouldn't you have done it? Well, yeah. Okay, so go dip in the river seven times and be healed. You see, sometimes we're like uh, uh, that man, I apologize, his name slips me, but uh, we're like him where we go, well, Lord, I want to do something magnificent. I want to do something spectacular. I want to do something that the world will look back and go, wow, he was a great Christian. Wow, she was a phenomenal Christian. I want to do something massive. And God's saying, I just want you to obey. It might be a nasty river, but that's what I've told you to do. Go dip. Dip into the river, not, not dip. Uh, <laughs> that's what I told you to do, so go do it. There have been many a people throughout history that we don't know about. God has said, I want you to go and do this. And they have obeyed and they've done it. And I, I believe with all my heart that it is well with them. Because they obeyed God. There are other people that we may look at and go, boy, that person is special. Boy, that person is godly. Boy, that person is spiritual. But in their heart, they're not obeying God. There are people all across this world, if you ask them who's the most famous Christian in the world right now living, they would, they would name someone that, that, that I would guess six out of ten times the person they name is someone that God isn't pleased with. Maybe more than that, I don't know. The most famous of Christians oftentimes are the weakest of Christians. They've sold out to the things of the world. They've got their priorities on finances or on fame. And God says, I didn't ask you to do all these things. I just asked you to obey. Whatever I tell you to do, do. So many times we, we get caught up in the um, aesthetics of things. There are times where I know I've struggled with this before where, well, God, if I do this, no one else is going to see it. If no one else is going to see it, then no one's going to pat me on the back. No one's going to know it's done. What good does it do if no one knows about it? God says, I've just told you to obey. I think of giving, and oftentimes, um, you know, the treasurer sees what we give. Uh, but we say, God, this is a lot of money for me, and if I give this, it would be nice if someone would at least tell me, hey, thanks. But if I give this, ain't no one going to say thanks. And God says, if you obey, I will. He says here to the people um, that if you walk in all the ways which I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. You'll be taken care of. You'll have your needs provided for. You'll have God uh, backing you, supporting you. Uh, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but God, God there, it'll be well with you. It's like the uh, author of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote that song after the death of his children. He was doing uh, what he was told to do by God. 
and yet he was still able to pen a poem slash song. It says, when, when turmoil strikes, it's well with my soul. When loss comes, it's well with my soul. It, it can be well with your soul too if you'll just obey the things which God has commanded. It's very simple. It's not deep. It's not hard to understand. But the Bible does teach us, and not just in this passage, the Bible does teach us that when we obey God, God says, I'll take care of you. He is the shepherd that leads me to still waters and green pastures. And even though we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, He is with us. He comforts us. He protects us. He provides for us. But it's a result of being obedient to the shepherd. A, uh, God is not this way, so please don't take me wrong. But I have the mindset with our chickens. If you're not going to go to bed when you're supposed to go to bed, then it's you and the raccoon, and i got no problem with it. Good luck. If you're not going to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, it ain't my problem. God's a little bit more compassionate than that. Um, but if we're not in the coop, we're on our own. Before God tells us to be, we're not on our own. The God of the universe, the creator of the world, the savior of the world is with us. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well unto you. God says, you're focused on sacrifices and offerings, but that's not what I said. I simply said obey. And it can be well unto you. Lord, help us, I do pray, to obey. It sounds simple, but we know it's not, not easy. We know the world pulls us in one direction. We know there, uh, Satan is pushing in one direction. But Lord, we know that if we will obey you, it will be well unto us. God, I'd pray that we would not get caught up or distracted by other things that are not as important to you. And God, that we'd be faithful to just simply obey. Lord, I pray that you would help us to proclaim your message, that we would be faithful and that we wouldn't get so caught up in trying to come up with new ways, but Lord, that we'd be faithful to just follow you and teach and preach what you've told us to teach and preach. God, I pray that you'd help us not to do things that provoke you to anger. God, that we would see if we are doing something that is uh, wrong or something that is not what you desire, Lord, I pray that we would stop it and that we would do what is right. And Lord, I pray ultimately that we would understand what you have said and that we would obey your commandments. And Lord, that we wouldn't fall for false teaching that tells us to do uh, uh, things opposite of your commandments. Lord, that we wouldn't just assume what you want us to do, but God, that we would know through your word what you desire for us to do, that we would simply obey you and walk in your commandments, Lord, that, we can, that it can be well with us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be, uh, have our priorities straight. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be knowledgeable and wise in the things concerning you, which means we need your help to be faithful uh, in, in reading our Bibles, to be faithful in our communication with you through prayer. And Lord, not just to, to read our Bibles and to pray, but to listen to what you say to us. And Lord, to make the necessary changes in our lives. 
Lord, I'm thankful that you've loved us and that you sent your son to die on the cross to pay for the, the debt that we owe because of sin. And Lord, I pray that if we don't know you as our Savior, if we've yet to place our faith in you, that God, today we would do so. And Lord, from there on forward, follow you and obey what you've told us to do. God, I pray that you'd bless us now as we um, break for the afternoon. God, I pray as we have been praying for our situation here at the church, that you would provide for our needs, and Lord, that you would be clear um, in what you'd have us to do. And God, I pray that you'd bless the rest of our time. Keep those safe that are um, out today. And uh, Lord, we look forward to gathering back together soon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.